0: You know, I was, during worship, my mind's just spinning, right, with ten different messages, like, what am I going to teach, what am I going to teach, what am I going to teach, and, uh, and Ben just puts his arm around me, you know, not knowing what's going on in my head, and just says, you know what, just preach the gospel, just just lay it out there, and, uh, you know, there's, there's this pressure, you know, like when you come back to a place, it's like there's an expectation, and I, and I hate that, um, just so you know, I, I hate you, no, I, I hate uh, <laughs> I hate this, this this whole idea, you know, I, I was going through it on Christmas Eve, you know, I was trying to get together my Christmas Eve service, and, and you know, every year for a pastor, I, I hate Christmas Eve, and I hate Easter. Because I, I feel this pressure, like, "Oh no, all these people are coming. They never come to church. This is one of the two times out of the year that they'll show up. You better have something good. You know this is the Easter service this is the Christmas service. And so I'm trying to come up with a sermon. I'm looking at all my last Christmas Eve messages and going, "Oh man, I did that one. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, that one was really cool." And I'm going down, and, and I'm sitting there stressed out, going, okay, how in the world am I going to make?" the birth of Christ exciting this year. And just think about that. I'm sitting in my office, racking my brain, trying to figure out how to make the birth of Christ exciting. And I thought, this is the stupidest thing in the world. I should be able to stand in front of a group of people and say... God became human, and we should just all go, no way, and fall on our faces and worship for an hour. And so that's exactly what we did this Christmas Eve. And it was awesome, you know. It was just reminding people, you know what, this message is what is great. You know, and 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 like what Ben was saying, somehow we get lost in the delivery and trying to figure out, okay, you know, well, I like the way this guy says it or that guy says it. No, God, the maker of the world, took the form of a man and died on a cross for our sins. And, and we should hear that. And, and somehow we lose the awe over the gospel presentation. I, I, You know, when we were in the office praying this morning, I, it, it hit me again. I thought... You know, there's there's some of you here that totally reject what I'm talking about. You totally reject this book. You're at a Christian college and you've heard the message a hundred times. And then there's a cynical part of me that comes here and goes, "What am I going to say to that person?" You know, you hear it in class, you hear it in chapel. You're, you're probably a Christian parent, so they sent you here. You're surrounded by all these Christians, Holy Spirit, la la la. Whatever. What am I going to say? That God loves you and He sent His Son to die for your sins so that you wouldn't be under His wrath and spend eternity in hell? And that you could be with Him forever in eternity? That He rose from the grave so that you would no longer fear death? And I look at that and I forget, you know what? But that's the power that one of these times I could say just that. With no clever delivery, no, no, you know, props, no video, nothing, and just throw that out there, and you're just going to get it. And it'll no longer be foolishness. And so I lay it out for you again. There's the gospel. You, you guys, last time I came here, I think it was last February or March. Um, it's so weird because I feel like so much has happened in this last year. Like you, like it's a completely different person. Okay, forget what who you've been hearing the last six years. This is a different person up here. Um, it's driving my church crazy. <laughs> it's driving my wife crazy. It's just there's just okay. Here's what happened. I'll just lay it out. Um, I was uh, I, I was I was getting ready to preach the book of Colossians at church. Okay, and I start studying this book, and uh, you know I, I, I teach. Uh, exegetically, expositionally, and I'll teach through a book of the Bible. So I thought, I'm going to pick Colossians. You know, I want want people to understand who Jesus is and everything else. And I started reading, and just in my time with God, I I don't know where you get fed. Maybe you, you know, you come to a chapel and you hear something and, and that turns your life around. And certainly I've heard messages that have changed me. But man, there's nothing like when I'm alone with God, when it's just me and the Bible and God you know and it's just a, just us in the room and i'm just looking at these words saying okay hey god what are you saying to me what are you saying to me that's when my life totally turns around okay and i'm reading colossians and it starts off and it says paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god It says, Paul is this apostle. We all know the story of Paul and how he's beat up and shipwrecked and stoned and starving and flogged, left to die, on and on and on. And he goes, I am an apostle, he goes, by the will of God. The word will meaning the desire because God wanted him to be an apostle. Why was Paul an apostle? Because God wanted him to be one. Now, did other people have wills for Paul's life? I'm sure they did. I'm sure Paul's friends had a desire for his life. I'm sure Saul's mom and dad had desires for his life. I'm sure that Paul himself had a will for his own life, just like you guys. Like like your parents have a will for your life, right? Yeah, you like their will for your life? No. Okay, and your, your friends, they have a will for you. You know, you, you start getting all these different people and they all have something they want you to do, the way they would like your life to go. Everyone in my church has a will for my life. I've got four kids. They each have a will for my life. My wife has a will for my life. So many people have a will, a desire of what they would like me to do. And I have a desire for my life. And then God says, but I have a will. I want you. There's things I want you to do. And Paul later in, in, in verse 9, he says, For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul says, Ever since I heard about this church, he goes, I never stopped praying. That God would somehow, that he would just somehow fill you with the knowledge of his desires. And so I thought, okay, Paul prayed this for his church. Well, this wasn't even his church. He never even went to this church. He just heard about it and never stopped praying for them. And I thought, okay, he prayed this prayer for for that church in in Colossae, so I'm going to pray this for, for my church, for Cornerstone Church. So that whole week I just started praying, okay, God, Open people's eyes up. Help them to know Your will. We want to know Your will. Show them Your will. Somehow, would You open their eyes. Fill them with the knowledge of Your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And as I was praying that through the week, a thought occurred to me. I thought, do people even want to know God's will? See, if you walked in, when you were walking in chapel, if I had asked you, hey, do you want to know God's will for your life? You'd probably go, oh, yeah, 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 because that's the Christian thing to say. We, we want to know the will of God. Oh, how do we find the will of God? And, and, and then I, I started thinking, do people really want to know the will of God? I mean, honestly, the desire of God. Do you really want to know what God would want to do with your body this afternoon? if he had complete control over that. Do you really want to know what God's desire would be for you this afternoon, where he would have you go, who he would have you speak to? Do you want to know how late he'd want you out tonight? Do you want to know how early he'd want you up praying tomorrow morning? Do you really want to know his will? Seriously. Do you want to know what he wants you to do tomorrow, next year? Do you really want to know? Or isn't there that side of you that would rather not know? You'd rather not know what God would want to do with your body if he had total control so that you can kind of go through life, make a few decisions for God, here or there, have your nice little happy family, a nice little happy home and everything else, and then at the end go, oh, I didn't know you wanted me to do all that. Right? Isn't that what you really want? See, and I started thinking, and I'm thinking, man, that's what... No, no one in the church wants to know God's will? And then I started asking myself, do I want to know God's will? Man, I'm the pastor of this thing. Do I really want to know where God would have me go this afternoon and tomorrow and next week? Would I, do I really want to know that or would I rather not know? Because if I don't know, I can say, I, I I would have done it, Lord. And it just started freaking me out. Because I thought, okay, great. So now I'm a pastor of this church, and I don't even know if I want God's will. And I started sharing it with one of my friends. I go, I mean, do you want to know God's will? One of my good, close Christian friends. He goes, I'm not going to lie to you, Francis. I don't want God's will. I don't want to know God's will. I think it would freak me out. And I go, yeah, and isn't that stupid? I mean, I'm feeling some of those same things, and I'm just going, this is stupid. Then what in the world are we doing if we don't trust His will? And you guys, this was so convicting to me that I stood before my church, stood before my elders, and I quit as the pastor of Cornerstone Church. Because I said, look, this is... This is, uh, this is not okay. It doesn't matter that you guys all like me and want me to be your pastor. I'm concerned that I'm a human being that I don't even know if I really want the will of God and am I just fooling myself? Or are we just playing a game here? And I left the church and I said, I don't know if I'm coming back. All I know is I want to get away and make sure that I'm a man who wants to know the will of God. You see, because I'll read passages, I'll read passages like uh, Revelation uh, 3 when it talks about that church in Laodicea. You guys know the story, the lukewarm church. And when God says to that church, he goes, I know your deeds, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I don't need a thing. But you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. He says to this church, and and what what hit me is he's saying it to the whole church. Okay? It's it's not like a few individuals in the church. It's not 90% of the church. He says it to the whole church. And I know this because when he wrote the letter to Sardis, He writes a letter to the church in Sardis. He goes, man, you guys are totally screwed up. He goes, but there's a few people there who haven't soiled their clothes. They haven't dirtied themselves. They've kept themselves pure. And he says to that church in Sardis, you guys are messed up, but there's a few individuals. Then when he writes to Laodicea, he just goes, you guys are all lukewarm. And I thought, okay, what if I lived in Laodicea? Would I be able to do the will of God? Because everyone is in this, you know, kind of half in, half out. I kind of want the will of God. I kind of want to follow God kind of mode. So would I be able to be in a church like that and be able to overcome it? And I start thinking, am I in a church like that? Because how many times have we opened up this book, we read it, and then we go to church and we go, these are two totally different concepts. This is these are worlds apart. I mean, this isn't this isn't church. I mean, I, I was talking about again this last weekend. I mean, obviously I went back to my church after going through this time before God, but it was just like, Lord, I, I want to live this out completely. I, I want to know because because what if what if we're all fooled? See, I didn't leave my church because it wasn't a popular church. You know, usually a pastor steps down because he's just, you know, can't make budget or everyone's yelling at him and everything's falling apart. And, oh, no, the church is falling apart. I quit. For me, it was the opposite. I was like, you know, I think this is too popular. In fact, if the Apostle Paul had a church in Simi Valley, I bet you mine would be bigger. If Jesus had a church in Simi, I bet you I'd outgrow his. That's kind of crazy. Because everywhere Jesus went, when he preached, people left. You know, and it was one of those things where I'm reading the Bible and it says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. And I'm looking at my wife and I'm going, man, this isn't good. You know? It says, that's the way they treated the false prophets. But then he says, Blessed are you when people persecute you. When they insult you. You know, because that's the way they treated the true prophets. And I just went through this whole... You see, because I get nervous. I I get nervous when I get too popular. Because the Bible says that there's this popular road. It's this wide road. It's this huge road. And and it leads to destruction. And many are going to go through this wide, popular road. He goes, but then there's this narrow road that leads to life and Few will find it. And so when I look at the morality of the American church and everywhere that it's going, it's hard for me to imagine that that's the narrow road. And so then if I fit in and suddenly I'm popular in this movement, I start going, wait a second, is this okay? Man, am I really on that narrow road going against the grain? Am I one of those individuals that really wants to know the will of God and just says, okay, God, whatever. What do you want to do with me? I don't, I don't care if everyone hates me. I don't care what they have to say. I, I'm tired of of not taking this book literally. And maybe that's the wrong word for it. Maybe that literally isn't the right word for it. Okay, I'm a graduate of the master's college. Okay, seminary. And it's like, okay, literal, literal, literal. You know, fine. Maybe it's not that. It's, But maybe uh, it, it, it's not so much literally, but seriously. Where I go, okay. If, if Jesus, I, I preached Matthew 25 yesterday at church about Jesus, you know, saying if, if, if uh, what did he say? <laughs> you know, about him coming back and then the sheep and goat judgment. He says, I was, I was hungry. You didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty. You didn't give me something to drink. And I thought, okay, do we take that literally? Do we really take that literally? The 1.5 billion people who don't have clean drinking water right now, that that is literally Jesus that is literally my Lord and Savior that doesn't have clean drinking water? That is really my Lord and Savior that's starving to death? I mean, according to the, to the Word, that's what he's saying. Whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, you are doing for me. I was hungry, and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. Do we take that seriously? If we take that seriously, then I have to devote the rest of my life to this. It doesn't mean that I, I I just give a little bit more or help out a little bit or cry when I see you know starving people on the television. It just means no that's my lord and savior and i I gotta do something I gotta figure something out and to take it seriously and that's been my uh that's that's been my my whole deal over the summer was like Lord, am I the real thing and as i uh it was funny because when it was it was winding down, you know, it was about August, and I told the church I would come back and at least tell them what I was going to do. Um, otherwise, you can't go without a president for a long time. And uh, and uh, you know, I, I wanted them to know. By the way, I'm going to run for president here. Is that cool? No, okay. No, I I, I can't. I, I'm busy. Um, but uh, the. Uh, you know, I had to get back to my church and tell them what to do. And so here's what I do. It's funny. I, I go, you know, because where else do you find yourself? You go to the beach, right? So I went to the beach. And, uh, and over at Zuma, you know, where there's a Starbucks across the street, get a little Starbucks, get a little uh, one of those apricot blueberry muffins, you know, low-fat, you know, whatever, my little coffee, got my towel. You know, early in the morning, no one's around. I go out there to the edge of Zuma and just sit out by the beach you know, after this whole few months of searching, going, God, what is your will? I'll do anything for you. I'm sitting there, and I just go, okay, Lord, what is your will for my life? Because I want it. I want it. I want to be like the Apostle Paul, where this is what you want me to do. I don't care what my 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 uh, my church wants me to do. I don't care what anyone else on this earth wants me to do. doesn't matter what my kids want me to do. I want to know what you want me to do. What is it, Lord? What is the purpose of my life? What is the meaning of my life? And I'm not one to hear the word of God. I, I'm not one to really hear a message from God. Again, remember I graduated from Masters. I would have gotten expelled. I, I uh, You know, but it was one of those times where I felt like, I really felt like I heard God speaking to me. And what God said was, that's cute, Francis. Look at you and your little blankie. You know, with your little muffin and your coffee and looking out in the ocean going, what is the meaning of life? That's cute. Meanwhile, there are millions of people who will never get this luxury. There are millions of people that are just trying to live through the day. There are millions of people who, when they die today... They will spend an eternity apart from me. What do you think my will is? Try to figure it out. And sometimes, you know, and I I don't know, and again, it's not an audible voice. It's just, you know, those feelings where you just go, you know what? This is what the Lord's saying. Just do something. Just go. People are starving to death. People are dying today. I don't have, you know, you don't have another thing. Three four months to sit around going, what is your will? You know, read my word. What is your will? Go out and reach people. Reach people. Tell them about me. Go out and help me. I'm starving. I'm. I need something to drink. Go, go, feed me. Give me. And, and you know the amazing thing is when we do that, when we actually live out the words of Scripture, that's when the unbelievers actually get interested. When when our light actually shines amongst the unbelievers. I was just flying to Africa a couple of weeks ago. On my flight to Amsterdam, I sat next to this Muslim guy. And this Muslim guy starts talking to me, and I start asking him questions. I start going through the law and asking him, well, are you going to be forgiven? You know, and laying out the gospel to him. And he just shut me out. I thought, man, you know what? I just threw out all this at him, which I don't ever regret laying out the gospel. But then I started asking him, I go, help me understand Islam. I mean, genuinely. Help me understand the difference between a Sunni and a Shiite. And he started explaining it to me, and he started telling me all these different people. And it was intriguing. And I go, you know what? I read this in the Quran. Is this true? Is this a proper interpretation? And we started laying things out. And, and I was interested in Islam more than he was interested in Christianity. Not that I was going to be converted, but I just was interested. And then he goes, he goes, so where are you going? I go, oh, I'm actually going to... Take a flight into Uganda once I get to Amsterdam. He goes, Oh yeah, for what? I go, you know what? Support a bunch of orphans, our church supports a bunch of orphans, and we help some missionaries out there. And the guy just looks at me and his eyes just light up. No lie. He looks at me and he says, I prayed that I would meet someone like you. He goes, All my life I have heard of people like you that actually care for the poor. He, he goes, see, I have, no, I have no compassion for that. I want to. I wish I had a heart to care for other people, but I'm just a selfish person. And I always wanted to meet someone like you to understand what drives you, what gets you out there. And I began to lay down. I go, well, you know what? That's the whole, the center of everything I believe is that, that, that God the Father, you know, sent his son. And his son laid down his life for me, First John three sixteen. And so, therefore, I should lay down my life for my brothers. I go, it's not something that I, I have to do or I'm fighting to do or earning to do. You don't understand. It is so wonderful to give. It is so much more blessed to give than to receive like Jesus said. And so when he gave us his son and I laid out the gospel for him and this guy, suddenly it was like he was listening. He asked me, are you going to Africa again because I would like to go with you next time. And there was just some connection of, wow, when people, when the world sees our good works, they want to give glory to our Father in heaven. You guys, I I feel like I'm just rambling up here um, and throwing you all these scattered thoughts this morning. I apologize for that. Um, But at the core of everything I'm, I'm trying to say is, you know, I know there's like, I'm hearing a lot of passion here at Westmont. I'm hearing that and praise God for that. You know, that, that some of you guys are excited about some of the social issues and you're looking at things around the world and you too are going, man, that just doesn't make sense. And right now it's it's kind of popular to jump on that bandwagon and, and praise God because it's a great bandwagon to jump on and I don't ever want to discourage anyone from that because the things I've seen on this earth, I'm just going, go, 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 do something, say something, give something. Don't just live your own life the thing, I guess the question I want to leave you with this morning is, are you for real? Are you really a person at the core of your being where you do things because you come out of a time alone with God and his word and his Holy Spirit? And you realize this is what God wants me to do. I don't care what anyone else thinks. I'm going to go back and do it. You see, because the Lord has revealed to me that, you know what, this church that I started 13 years ago, he's not saying, Francis, abandon it. He's saying, Francis, I know there's a ton of issues there, and there's so many things you want to change, and it'd be so much easier for you to start over, but you need to go back and lead this church, and you do it. And I go, you know what? I really believe this is clearly of the Lord. It's absolutely biblical. I run through the grid of scripture whenever I feel like God is saying something to me. I go, okay, does it contradict this book? No, absolutely not. This goes along with everything he teaches here. And it's like, okay, then I'm going to do it with all of my heart. I'm going to move this thing and I'm going to lead these people. But that's me. That's God's will for my life. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Do you really want to know it? Do you trust it? You know what helped me overcome that whole barrier of wondering, can I really follow God's will? Was this summer it just kind of clicked. I thought, you know what? I've got I've got four kids. And I think about my I got three girls and I just had a baby boy. And I think, you know what? If my girls came to me right now and said, "Dad, we'll completely surrender to your will for our lives." Okay, they're not going to do it. But let's, let's just say You know, we'll marry whoever you want us to marry. We'll uh, go do whatever you want us to do. We just just want you to tell us what would be the best for our lives. Okay, what am I going to do for my little girls? Make sure they're miserable, you know? destroy their lives no as a father it's like no i'm I, I, yeah i'm gonna stretch you i'm gonna take you through some difficult times that you would never choose on your own you're gonna be pulling weeds at certain hours of the day and you would never choose that for yourself but you gotta trust me i know what's gonna build character in you if you just surrender to me you know and of course i want you to be, of course i want this joy of course i want you to be everything you were made to be but if you surrender that to me i'm gonna make your life wonderful not always fun. Not always what you would choose. But you got to trust me. It's going to be good. And it just hit me. If I, being an earthly father, being evil, know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more will my father give me his Holy Spirit if I ask him? And at that point, it's like, okay, Lord, I surrender. I give it up. I want to know your will. So I ask you as an individual, One more time. Do you really want to know what God would do with your body if he had complete control over it today? In your chapel journals, there's some space there. And we're going to give you a couple minutes right now just to write some thoughts in there. Because for some of you, you know exactly what God wants you to do. Some of you are struggling with sin issues, and you know the first thing He would do if you had control of your life. But what I want you to do is quit playing the game. Quit calling yourself a Christian if you're not. Quit pretending you want to know the will of God if you don't. I mean, for me, it was difficult. It was like, you know what, I shouldn't even be pastoring this church If I'm a man who doesn't want the will of God, and to be honest, at that point in my life, I didn't. And I had to leave. And some of you may have to step out of position. Some of you may have to turn your whole life upside down. But it's worth it to be real. It's worth it to have peace and go, okay, I know I'm the real deal. I know I really would do whatever God wanted me to do. I know I'm not this lukewarm, maybe, or just because I'm amongst a bunch of Christians no, I love God, and I will do whatever for him. It's about a love relationship with him where it's like, you know what? I do love you more. I love you more than my wife. I love you more than my kids. I love you more than my job. I love you more than life itself. What do you want me to do with, your, with my life? And just jot some things down if you believe God is leading you to do certain things and start praying for them. So go ahead and take some time and write in your journals right now.